Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Tech Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio with all the latest in tech from here in Ireland and across the world and sometimes from out of this world. You'll find out more later. Remember, there are many ways of getting our show. You can download directly from our website at techcentral.ie use a smartphone podcast app iTunes if you like or turn us on every Friday on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Joining me as always is Editor-in-Chief of Tech Central, Niall Kitson. Niall, working from home today. How's it going? It's uh, relaxing. Uh, it's, it's also not ideal, but sure, we, we do what we can. I find, though, yeah, you're right. Working at home is not ideal, but uh, you can actually get a lot more done when you just work from home occasionally. That's what I find. Yeah, well, when done in moderation and if your broadband connection is up to it, then, uh, yeah, I certainly recommend it. I'm sure there are many would disagree. They would say, oh, the office is the only way to go or an awful lot of entrepreneurs who would say i can i can only work from home because it's the only place i can get my head together um yeah for me the the occasional homework is is you know healthy well that's what i find as well um, uh, I've, I've worked at home for a year and uh, it was okay but i, I missed the human interaction uh, whereas at the yeah. moment i kind of do a little bit of work at home i do a little bit of work in the office uh, and then i do a little bit of avoiding work altogether <laughs> That's that's pretty reasonable. Although, you know, you, you'll have to forgive me if there's a little bit of feline uh, meowing in the background. Don't um, worry. <laughs> Don't, I, think, I think we can live with that. Listen, we have, uh, we have an interview on the show this week uh, with a lady that you met at Dublin Tech Summit uh, during the week. And we've kind of held it over to this week because she was just incredibly interesting. And she talked about one of our pet topics, uh, which is virtual reality. We'll have more of that in around about 10 minutes' time. But firstly, uh, there's been a major report issued today with uh, Virgin Media on how businesses are interacting with the internet and using uh, technology and some very interesting results come, have come out of that businesses appear to be very bullish would you agree yeah well virgin are very good for coming out with these reports kpmg is another crowd that that they churn out these reports every year or every other year just on on digital trends um so this is uh, the last time uh, virgin media put out a, a similar report was in 2014 so the economy has moved on a little bit um uh, a little bit sort of uh, positively I guess mm. you might say um, since then and the news is good people seem to be quite happy as you say people are bullish about their prospects there's a little bit of a spring in people's step that hasn't translated onto the high street uh, you might remember the news that came out a week ago I think high street sales were down um, I think it was 6% mm. over the Christmas period uh, 2015 but when it comes to uh, the online space, people seem to be much happier. So, well, let's dig into a few stats, will we? Because we, we all love talking about statistics. Absolutely. Go on. What have you got for me first? Okay. Uh, in terms of which companies have a positive outlook going into 2017. So we've had, you know, we've got the, the recession out of your way. We're midway, I guess, through a recovery. Um, there's still quite a few political arguments being had at the moment which we will never get into because we're not that kind of show so as as one who has worked for himself and has a look around and sees the digital economy how many businesses percentage wise out of the other entrepreneurs that you know roughly how many percentage wise would you say are optimistic 
about our prospects this year? Uh, I would say actually quite a lot of them uh, are optimistic. There's definitely a positive vibe in the air and people are thinking of expanding and growing and more work is coming in. So uh, I, I would say over 50% are optimistic and looking at growth this year. Yeah, well, you're you're uh, understating it quite, quite. I don't want to say badly, but you're understating it there. <laughs> Apparently, according to um, this survey of 200 uh, senior business owners, and this was conducted um, at the end of 2016 by Amoric, 80% of SMEs and corporates reported having a happy or positive outlook on the digital economy for this year. So that's Wow. Across the board, people are happy. Yeah. Now, one of, one of yeah. the questions they always ask in these surveys then, I mean, there's one thing about feeling positive and optimistic, but the next leading question then is always, will you be taking on more people, new staff? And I think that's a much better metric because you can you can say you're positive about something, but if you're not making your sales, well, you know, what's, what's the point? Uh, really, the key metrics are converting your sales and taking on new staff. Uh, I would go on and argue that it, taking on new staff in which areas that's sort of a little bit of a bugbear of mine when it comes to job announcements but I, I won't get sidetracked down there but in terms of looking for key hires uh, again we've got 80% of companies are happy go on hit me hit me up with a figure if you if you think 80% of companies are happy how many do you think are looking to hire uh, probably not as many. I'm, I'm going to go 50% again because you just can't lose a 50%. <laughs> you can't. You're either right or you're wrong. You may as well You may as well hedge your bets a little bit. No, apparently 75% of companies said they expect to hire this year. So 80% are optimistic. 75% say they expect to hire. And to put that in context a little bit, in 2014, that was uh, 59% of companies said they expected to hire. So... You know, two years on, the feel-good factor is definitely uh, in evidence. Okay. So Again, kind of going back on my uh, entrepreneur days, uh, I suppose, yes, you've got your business confidence, and then you're looking at um, uh, at how many people you're going to take on. But the meat and potatoes of what we're about, which is IT and technology, is that more important now for employers when they're taking people on? IT skills, how important is it? Well, you know what? Years ago, I used to work in recruitment. And uh, to tell you how long ago this was, there was a section where you would put on your CV which um, programs you're proficient in. And the amount of people that put Microsoft Word. And you think about it now and you're like, well, of course, you know, everybody has Word. Everybody Mm. has a little bit of Excel, maybe. Um, Most people have tried PowerPoint it's not mm. like the, you know, PowerPoint especially, it's not that hard to get to But, but you, say, you say that, all right, that, that everybody has it, but I guarantee you that less than 20% of people are actually proficient in it. Other than, you know, I want to type something and make it bold or italics or something like that. Well, can you insert a table and can you make these colours and can you put in an automatic uh, formula so that it will calculate the figures correctly? Most people go, oh my God, no! <laughs> well, there's proficient and there's getting by. And I think most yeah. people are, are getting by at getting by and enough enough to do their job and not being uh, curious enough to go any further than that. But what I'm trying to uh, see if they have been able to identify in this survey is, as you said, you know, Microsoft Word and, and PowerPoint and yada yada. I mean, that, that is 20 years ago, all right? I mean, what you're thinking about now is you're thinking about the internet and you're thinking about statistics online. Uh, you're thinking about maybe a little bit of coding. Of course, you've got advertising on Facebook and Google and all these things that people uh, uh, need to know. Are employers looking for those kind of skills these days? 
Well, apparently, uh, our survey said, as a certain show likes to uh, likes to remind us, eighty-eight uh, percent of business owners said IT skills were important in hiring. So, if it comes down to a case of um, somebody has Excel, you don't. That actually, that very fine line of basic proficiency could be the difference between two job candidates. Mm. So, but if you're a web designer, think of the think of the amount of software suites you engage with on a daily basis. Mm. That's a lot. It's a it's an awful lot. Whether you're just looking at uh, something like Atom or Photoshop or Dreamweaver, what have you. Uh, let alone dealing with uh, the company behind your stack, and um, there's so there are so many elements that almost sort of listing off your software proficiencies just it gets to a nonsense kind of stage. Mm. And yourself, myself, we um, we edit this show uh, using a lot of different software. Um, I use software at my end. You use software at your end, and um, near the train should meet. But it all, it all goes into one pot. And I don't need to know. I don't need to be proficient in what you're using because I have my, my mm. own little downgraded version over here. Yet it does the same job. Well, I find that, that, that that's very true because I use video editing, audio editing. Then uh, I've got accounting software. Uh, then, then I've got Word and Excel, funny enough, at the bottom of the list. But what I'm thinking <laughs> about is like Google Analytics, being proficient in that kind of stuff or being able to write some Perl code. Is that important these days? Or is uh, knowing how to get into the uh, 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 Facebook and doing marketing on Facebook, is that important for employers? I don't think at that level it has become so important. Um, we are we are getting into the stage where analytics are so important in figuring out what people want to buy in trends, what people mm. are spending money on. I mean, we do, we talked briefly about this last week with Iver Murbach from uh, Fashion One Group, where they were looking at trends in fashion mm. using big data. And I, was, I was I initially thought this is not quite pie in the sky stuff but it's a very interesting application but it, it, it had applications in the here and now so other businesses uh, some another stat sort of kind of related to that um, when you look at the impact of broadband because broadband is what powers all the use of analytics anyway and the ability to process payments online 90% of businesses say said they would either not exist or be a lot smaller without broadband 90% wow that's a staggering figure. 90% of businesses say they would be not able to survive or they would be much smaller without broadband. Mm. Now, here's the rub. There was a report that came out uh, last year by the IEDR, which is the company that manages the .ie domain name. And um, they found in their digital uh, health index, they bring that out every year, that 28% of SMEs did not have the capacity to process payments online. So according to one crowd, almost a third of Irish businesses can't do business online. And according to Virgin, all, well, we'll say almost all Irish businesses attribute um, their current size to being online. Well, there's two different things about, uh, you know, you could be getting business in and taking payments in the other way. But I see exactly uh, what you're saying. And I can understand why not everybody is taking businesses or, or taking payments online and stuff like that. Um, but mind you, I, I think that's going to grow and grow. Uh, it's very interesting, though, to, to see from that Virgin Media study that business is bullish is because of broadband and because of the internet that they are able to grow. They are, they are feeling optimistic, taking more people on. And those people that they are taking on, you really want to 
know your Google Analytics. <laughs> <laughs> or, do you know, kind of it's where what I'm saying is we're beyond the stage of saying, yeah, I know how to use Google Chrome. I know how to use Microsoft Word <laughs> and well, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, and it's not that long ago that people were putting Internet Explorer on uh, those software package boxes. I know, I know, but anyway, I know. it was the one thing that actually drove me nuts when I was uh, employing people because they they'd be coming in that we were a, 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 an audiovisual production company and they would say they were able to operate this, this, and this uh, piece of software. But when you sat down and spoke to them, they hadn't a clue, uh, and they would go, "Well, I did it in college. Oh, great. Okay. Well, will you remember much? Well, we only did it for two weeks. It's like you're useless. Leave me." <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that's the harsh reality of life. Listen, uh, if you want to find out more about that survey, you'll get it on the Virgin Media website. Thanks for that, Niall. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Last week in Dublin at the Dublin Tech Summit, Niall spoke with a lady who we loved so much. We wanted to keep it as a feature interview for this week, so sit back and enjoy this. This is Jacqueline Morey from All These Worlds from America. She was... VR before VR was VR. I've managed to corner uh, Jackie Mori, who is CEO of a company called All These Worlds. And Jackie has been working in virtual reality for about 25 years now. So she's sort of, she's seen an awful lot of trends. She's seen virtual reality come, go and come back again. So I guess, Jackie, tell, as somebody who has been working in VR for so long, is the current wave of interest in it something of a, a validation of your work? I think it's a validation of the technology and how important it is. It is a technology that strongly affects people. Anybody who's had a VR experience never forgets it. They come away with this revelation that they can be somewhere else, even if they are in this other physical space. And the fact that so many people are excited about that gives VR a whole new world of opportunities. It was very expensive when I first got in it. You know, that I, I had a $100,000 head-mounted display uh, that ran on a $150,000 computer. So um, very few people had access to it at that time. I always thought if more people had access to it, we'd have more interesting VR applications. And now people do have that access, and, and we are seeing all kinds of things come out of this new VR wave. I think um, there, there are sort of two things for me that are really driving VR at the moment. One is the proliferation of these very basic headsets where you just plug in your mobile phone and that's your display. But the other is the appetite in the gaming sector uh, for VR at the moment. But how do we get virtual reality out of that quite rarefied area? You know, How do we make it attractive to people that don't want to play EVE Online for 12 hours a day? Uh, well, you... You had one of the answers in your question, which is these low-cost mobile headsets. So the New York Times, for example, has given out, I think, over 100,000 of these Google Cardboard type of headsets. Those are really entry levels to VR. They're not the kind of full, true, immersive VR where you have agency and can make decisions and change the experience as you're in it. These are more 360, you know, wrapped around you kinds of 
uh, scenarios that you can look around and you can see a story unfold, but you, you can't really have any effect on that story. But yet, that is a, a way that a lot of people can experience VR that aren't gamers. Uh, they can get news stories that way. They can get interesting films. They can get short animations. They can get all kinds of other types of media that, that are more like today's media, but in a kind of a new package. So it's an entry level for uh, people to start looking at VR as a plausible medium. I don't think we've made it into a medium yet. We're still recapitulating games or films or animations, that type of thing. But eventually VR, like film, will develop its own vocabulary and become a medium in its own right. And we're just at the beginning stages of that. I say we're at the Nickelodeon era of VR. Well, one of the applications that you're looking at is is what you've called VR for good. So uh, tell me a little bit about that. So what we've used VR for at All These Worlds, a small company that I started uh, once I left academia, is for things like providing mindfulness training to soldiers in a way they couldn't get to, say they're in a rural area and there are no mindfulness classes there. They can log in into a social virtual world and with an instructor there go through those classes. We can also um, use it for things that help psychological states. So another project I did was with the NASA Human Behavioral and Performance Group, and we built for them a virtual world ecosystem that would be beneficial to future astronauts who are going on very long-duration space flights. These people are going to be stuck in a tin can or in a Martian habitat for months and months on end with very little stimulation. They'll have sensory deprivation and they'll have social isolation. They'll only have their other teammates and no real-time communication with friends and family or support groups back on Earth. So there was a Mars habitat simulation where a crew of six scientists were isolated, basically locked up in a dome on a mountain in Hawaii that looked like Mars outside for a full year without real-time communication with their friends and family. Um, so what we did was we built them a whole virtual world ecosystem where they could take virtual vacations. They could go lay in a boat and float down a river and watch fireflies or sit on a porch uh, in a suburban neighborhood and watch a sunset and hear the kids playing in the street. Or they could go in a snow area or they could go into all these areas. But beyond that, we gave them ways to record their avatars leaving messages for the other side. So the crew was able to log in Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday to a server that we put in that habitat the friends and family could log in on the other days. And then every morning we synchronized all of this data so they could see what the other side had done. They recorded their avatars, leaving voice and text and behavioral messages. And then when the other side got in, if they saw an icon that said there's a message for you, they could click on it and the avatar would pop up and go through those um, movements and speak those words. And we found that they used it to have extended conversations over the week. There were a number of other ways they used this, uh, what we called vaults, the recorded avatar messages, 
but what we found at the end of the entire year is that this crew that had this virtual world ecosystem actually felt closer to their friends and family, uh, even though they weren't in there a lot together. But they had a, a number of uh, better scores than a previous group that was our control group that did not have the virtual world. So I guess there's a, a massive role there for things like conflict resolution, um, basically stopping interpersonal problems before they become an issue. We could certainly use it for that, and I think we haven't yet gotten to the VR for training, for that either just-in-time training for something, say for an astronaut, they've got to learn how to do something on an, uh, a, an EVA, uh, fix something, and they didn't have that in their pre-training. They could get just-in-time training through a virtual reality simulation, but also uh, to do those sort of uh, interpersonal things where you can bring up things you might you know might happen and they can role play basically in a virtual reality simulation with others to figure out how they might deal with some of those situations so that's a whole new area for vr that we're not really uh addressing just yet but probably will be soon in terms of what vr labs will be looking like in future i mean when we talk about immersive environments we can talk about sort of putting the headset on and having depth perception and and hand controllers but there is some part of you that's aware you're in a a clinical or a controlled environment and for example you you will be at home but you don't necessarily feel able to walk around that sort of thing so what sort of developments are we seeing in engaging senses that vr isn't using at the moment or engaging or making it easier for people to explore a virtual environment in a confined space? That's a really good question because it's very difficult with the sensor technology to have it be sort of open range, if you will. Uh, The HTC is coming out with a wireless headset, so you won't have that, uh, I think it's about a 12-foot cable that connects you to the machine. So there's that development where we're getting wireless headsets. Eventually, I see maybe your media room at home will have the sensors embedded in the walls, and you won't have to do that. You can walk around the room freely. Right now, you put them up in the corners, and you have about a a 10 by 14 foot space you can walk about for that. Uh, It's a matter of getting this stuff integrated into your actual physical locations. I think we might see it earlier in the new incarnation of VR arcades like The Void in Salt Lake City um, where they they've just tricked out the rooms for that kind of free-range experience, if you will. So that is all coming. The phones or these things that you put in your, uh, you know, in the, in the sort of mobile VR kinds of things, phones are getting much more sophisticated. Eventually, I think we'll probably go to something like the HoloLens, where you have a see-through to your physical space, but I think eventually you'll be able to dial it from purely opaque to see-through, and we'll have this sort of seamless continuum of mixed reality. I think HoloLens is a very interesting case because on one side, I mean, it seems to be two sides of the same coin, really, that you have augmented reality on one side and and virtual on the other. Um, Is the idea of blended reality where, you again, to be able to flip the switch, are there going to be these sort of shared environments where you you dial into an office space like where we are at the moment and maybe someone with an AR headset is making a, a 3D presentation or something like that? Absolutely. We already have two really good VR social platforms 
in their infant stages, but people are starting to use them. One is Altspace VR, and one is High Fidelity. Uh, so High Fidelity was created by the person who created Second Life, which was sort of the online virtual world that people didn't realize was virtual reality <laughs> until we we hooked up headsets to it and they went, oh, we could it is virtual reality. So we do have those social things coming, and I think people will have a variety of, of devices with which they access that. So for high fidelity, you can access it with your screen or with a headset or with a you know, number of different kinds of headsets. What's great about that and what we're going to see in these social ones is that your facial expressions are read through some of the sensors, um, just your your camera on your screen, but eventually these sensors are going to be built into the headsets. And even if they're not, right now what High Fidelity is doing a little bit is reading your voice prosody to make the expressions on the avatar's face match what you are saying or, or trying to get across. So that is, gives us a good sense of your presence to someone else when you're in that world. So for a long time, in the early days of VR, you were the, pretty much the only one in there. There were a couple of games where you had these uh, you know, uh, almost Minecraft-looking avatars, and you could play networked games. But for the most part, they were very isolated, insular experiences. You turned on a computer, ran that experience, turned it off. Next time you turned it on, you started exactly the same. Now we're seeing you know more persistence in these sort of uh, social virtual worlds, and that opens up a whole new area of um, applications that we can be addressing. The the other thing you said, you know, we've got this this continuum from looking through these headsets to the physical reality and overlaying something synthetic, if you will, to isolation experiences where you are in one of these sort of headsets and you are separated from the rest of the world. Those, there are some really good reasons to do that. And there are some really good reasons not to separate yourself from the world. So uh, what we're at the point where we're starting to see maybe a sort of a taxonomy of, of how you would use virtual reality and what, what it's good for in what modes. Uh, the point that you raised there about being in a virtual space and perhaps being the only person there and the the new application of Second Life which is uh, has gone from a, a gaming experience w- without the games to something of a, a more VR friendly experience um, but that issue of population is something that is going to have to be addressed fairly quickly and it's probably fair to say that this is an area where bots can really pull their weight I think so. I think we need more uh, what I call alternate alternate characters in there that you can interact with. Even if you go into a place, there's nobody there, but we've done a number of things both in Second Life and in other modalities where we have intelligent virtual humans or bots. Bots are the kind of the low end. They're, they're just connecting to a chatbot kind of system out there, but we can make much more sophisticated ones that are purpose-driven for either healthcare or other other types of things. We're not seeing much of that right now in the in this uh, resurgence of VR, but I think it will come very shortly. I know I have some things designed where I want to have extras and even the main characters uh, that you might interact with be those kinds of intelligent uh, other characters. 
part of the optimism that I'm finding about uh, virtual reality when I have conversations with other people working in the area, be it in gaming or in um, storytelling, is there's this confidence that, you know, the technology is, if not there, it has permeated the consciousness and we can now look at a state where five, ten years down the line, it will be just another peripheral that will be in the home. Do you share that kind of optimism? I think so, but the technology's changing, so I can't predict what that ultimate in-the-home technology is going to be. You know, is it going to be big walls with stereoscopic uh, screens, or is it going to be something you put on your head? Is it going to be the next generation of our smartphone, where it is worn on our head like a HoloLens? Um, Many of these new devices are getting the depth sensing cameras in them. So HoloLens, if you put it on, if I put it on right now, it would scan you and I'd see the geometry of your body um, in front of me. And it would also get the geometry of you know what's in the near field of view. And then I can make sure that if I have a robot, it's dancing on the table, you know, whatever I've got that for. So those kinds of things are going to get integrated fairly quickly, maybe the the connect type of uh, thing where you're reading motions, that's another depth sensing camera. So I think our devices will have arrays of these that serve different purposes, near field, far field, uh, motion, whatever it is. And it, it, I, in 10 years, I can't even imagine what it's going to be. It's going to be a totally new integrated thing. But right now, I think we're moving so fast, it's hard to glom onto anything just enjoy what we've got right now and and watch what's uh, what's unfolding because I think the the gear manufacturers are really looking towards the future. And that was Niall Kitson talking to Jacqueline Morey from All These Worlds at the Dublin Tech Summit last week. Niall, just before we head off for this week, do we have a one more thing, a little story online we couldn't squeeze into the show? Uh, we certainly do. Uh, for anyone that has been tracking the whole drone delivery thing, UPS are getting in on the action and you can find out all about it on Tech Central. Excellent. You can get more on that story. And of course, all the Irish tech news with hourly updates, uh, daily newsletters and more from techcentral.ie as well as our weekly tech radio show here and broadcast every Friday at 6pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. So next week, from myself, Dusty, and from Niall Kitson, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.